Like every time we do one of these, Barrett adds like one oh, or two yeah. names on the list that don't yeah. need to be cast. The guy who said Enrico, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo and the Naked Gun. Let's recast that guy. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hey, that's me. That's Jeremy. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. that's barrett that sounds like a tugboat barrett will be doing nothing but grunting the entire (laughs) uh, (laughs) you figure it out we just released the uh crudes today so that was uh that was my caveman Mm -hmm. that's right that's right (laughs) um so it's been a week uh what what have you what new thing have you gotten pissed off about I'm taking crazy pills. I'm as mad as hell. You've never seen me very upset. Mm. What new mm. thing? Mm. I got. Hey, I, I've got. I've got something, and it, this may be controversial uh, to to a lot of people. Um, I don't understand why, but I'm I'm gonna make my stand here. Uh, having vitriol or hatred or annoyance at grocery store workers in particular uh retail workers in general mm. during the pandemic mm. we are asking essential workers um from hospitals uh nurses doctors uh clinics things like that to go into very dangerous environments and do their work because we we have to uh, there's no other way for it. During this entire thing, my grocery store, none of the grocery stores in my area ever closed one day. Um, and we have done the click list thing where you you uh, do it online before and you go and you just pick it up. No contact. I have gone into stores before. I've mentioned that before. Um, and I have seen people get super pissed. I've gotten to, to get uh, medicine from the pharmacy. I've seen people get super pissed at the grocery store employees that there's no reason to. I've seen the interactions. Now, now people are always dicks to grocery store clerks, right? Mm-hmm. Even, even in the best of times. Mm-hmm. They're always like, well, no, that's supposed to be on sale. Why don't you go back and look for it? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Like these people aren't trying their best and making you know minimum wage or a little bit more. But during this time, I'm, I have no problem saying that the people that show up to work at grocery stores every day are fucking heroes mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. They, they've been there the entire the, – the staff at my local grocery store uh, has been there just about every day. Uh, I know them. I know what they look like and stuff like that. And I think they're fucking heroes. It's not like they're getting paid – Hundreds of thousands of dollars like doctors, not that that would be an excuse for a doctor to not show up or whatever. But, uh, I mean, seeing people get pissy with these employees or even if they go to I haven't been to the Gap or anything like that or Target. But, like, I assume this is happening there, too. Uh, there is no reason for that. These people are doing their best. It's probably not perfect. They're not going to get you the right thing every time. 
but be kind to these people because they are doing their jobs in very, very difficult circumstances. Am I wrong about this? Are people justified in being pissed off at people, retailers or grocery stores? So no, um, never, uh, for the most part. Uh, Even if a grocery store clerk is less than friendly with you, right? I've heard people complain about she wasn't friendly or she didn't say one word to me. You don't know what the, maybe she's on a fucking double shift because somebody called out. Uh, Maybe she threw her back out, lifted a 50 pound bag or something. I mean, you don't know. And I've been there and you guys have been there. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there are certainly times when retail employees or their managers are flat out rude or wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. And even in a pandemic, I could see that being the case. If I went to a, if I went to the grocery store and the lady was like, "Get in that fucking line over there now," I would. That's rude. I would probably check her on that behavior, or at least go buy something from another store. <clears throat> but you know, I think there's a line you can draw between not super friendly to you today and being downright rude. And even I think mm. in a pandemic, we can move that line a little bit to give a little more grace. Uh, to people who are maybe short with you uh, because I, okay, I went to the store yesterday, Monday morning. This is the week of Thanksgiving. So I just needed to get a couple more things for our Thanksgiving meal. Uh, I didn't need to be in there for more than 20 minutes. I was in there for about an hour because it was fucking packed and I almost had an anxiety attack. I can't imagine if I had to work there for eight or more hours a day, five days a week, Ever since this pandemic began, I think those people are heroes. I don't think you're underestimating it. Yeah. Um, I agree uh, not to be pissed uh, off at these people, but are you seeing this that often? Like, I'm not seeing it at all. Now, it could be the grocery store I'm going to because I think people generally love Publix around here. Like, Publix is a generally good store. So, like, you don't see a lot of these pissed off people. I don't know if you're going to, like, Kroger or something like that. But all of them, all of them but I around my been... area. And and when I was in Georgia, too, uh, I saw people being completely rude to the checkout people, uh, the people who are stocking in the aisle uh, to each other, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and and it, it just it, you know what it reminds me of? It's a quick story. But when I was working at the Hollywood 27 in uh, concessions, I don't know if you guys. Yeah, you guys were around with this. We couldn't give change. You remember this? Uh, the, the, uh, the concessions could not give change. So if somebody gave me a dollar, I could not give them four quarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to go over to customer service. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a guy that was in line and I was like, you know, how can I help you? He's like, can you change this? And I was like, I'm sorry, they don't let us do that. You got to go over to customer service. Now there were two people in line at customer service across the, you know, what, 60 steps away or something like that. And I was like, sorry, we got to do that. And he's like, are you telling me that you can't take four quarters out of that cash register and take this dollar? Jeez. And I was like, sir, I'm sorry. We can't, we can get written up for that stuff. I'm sorry. And he was like, I can't believe that you, and I was like, fuck it, took the dollar, gave him the change. And I was like, I don't get paid enough for this. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this to me? Why, why is this, 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 this anger directed at me? I'm not. I'm not your Huckleberry. It's fucking Mary, uh, who's the fucking assistant or the concessions manager that's going to be up my fucking ass. That uh, the about giving you change. You know what the real, but pro- yet 
I was like, fuck you. You know what the real problem is, right? It's the policy. And concession manager Mary, because she right. was always looking for a reason to get up somebody's ass. That's very true. But um, there's nothing worse than a corporation handing down a policy that you have to follow. And then you have angry customer who's right, by the way, they should be able to get the quarters at concession. You know, I mean, look, they shouldn't get pissed at you. You didn't make the fucking rule. Right. That's the point. Right. But at the same yeah. time, yeah, they're right. They shouldn't have to go to fucking customer service to get quarters. That makes no sense. <laughs> um, because at the end of the day, they're going to just count your drawer and they're going to find out whether or not you're like $10 short or whatever. That's all. I mean, yeah, yeah, it doesn't, what the fuck does change do? Um, it's the same thing with when I first was working in concessions at Carmike. Um, they had a, there was, I'm sure every theater is like this, but they had the policy that you don't give out cups, right? Like you can't, oh, you can't yeah, give yeah, out yeah. free cups. Every cup that you hand out has to be the price of the cup, even if it's empty. Yes, and, yeah. uh, and so like in my first couple of months working at Carmike, some guy very angry, bigger than me came out. And said that, you know, because we had these cup holders that didn't hold every cup. They only held the small. <laughs> they had, if you had a medium and if you had a large and you put it on on your armrest and it fell, then yeah, they, then then you're the one that fucked up, I guess. And, uh, and uh, this guy comes out saying that he spilled all his Coke on his jeans and he's pissed off and he wants to get all this, like, you know, he wants to send us the bill and all that fucking shit. <laughs> And he goes, I, I want another cup of Coke or whatever. And I'm sitting there like, I'm a 16-year-old kid. I'm a 16-year-old kid. And I say, I'm sorry, you have to pay for another one to this angry fucking guy. And he's like, he's like, he's like, what, do you want to make me? He's, he said something like, what, do you want to pay for my pants that I just ruined? Blah, 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 or some shit. And then, of course, some like assistant manager guy comes walking around at the time and he's like, yeah, Chris, what's up? And I was like, yeah, I mean, he spilt his Coke and he needs a cup. And he's like, yeah, just give him another cup. I was like, fuck <laughs> you. You told us not to do that shit. <laughs> God, Regal was fucking fascist about that, mm-hmm. man. The cup cost three seventy five. Don't it's not even the, get the me started, man. Mm-hmm. There were years where my income depended on those fucking cups being right, and <laughs> it was some of the most ridiculous lids. No, don't matter. Yeah, not, but yep. not even not even considered an expense at all. Straws, we don't count those. Napkins, fuck you. Cups, mm-hmm. those are worth three seventy five, four fifty, right. and five twenty five. God damn it. Yeah. And you have to upsell it or they'll write you. Oh, Christ. Uh, Well, I have something like almost as important as Barrett's rant about treating Mm. workers with respect. Okay. And that's this fucking Taco Bell nachos party pack that I just Mm. saw advertised during football games over the weekend. Uh, For me, it's a first. Apparently, it, it premiered a year ago and went away and came back a month and a half ago. This is a two-foot-long by six-inch-wide box of nachos. I'm going to send you a picture (laughs) so you can see what this fucking shit looks like. What? Motherfuck. All right. And it's intended for you to buy this and take to a party. Oh, yeah. And look, (laughs) the last thing I want is to repeatedly dip my fucking fingers 
into a two-foot-long box of slop that every other guest at the party is repeatedly dipping their fingers into. Right. This is the most illogical. Like, if you buy this and share this with people at a party, you're disgusting. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. You've disgusted mm-hmm. me. Not to mention that if you show up at a party with a giant box of Taco Bell nachos. <clears throat> I mean, some people like, are into it. Maybe it's the right kind of party. There's a bottle of wine. There's like buffalo blue cheese dip or something like that. And then there's a giant box of Taco Just Bell bring nachos. bring a bunch of tacos. God damn. It's the same fucking ingredients. Why yeah. Why would you make a, a, a pig trough of nachos to sell to people. And why would you buy that? I, I could picture people going in there with no hands, just a mouth and nose rooting around with the fucking avocado and beans all over their face. That shit is disgusting. You go to the website for Taco Bell. This is how terrible this item is. In bold, all caps letters, underneath the name of the product, it says, Sodium Warning! Are you serious? I am serious. Uh, <laughs> tw- 2,060 calories in one of these things. Damn. And what's interesting is the technicality. They got all these other party packs that aren't nachos. Boy, they'll sell you six hard tacos and six soft tacos. And there's no sodium warning. Because sodium they apparently warning. only have to do that because this is all in one single container. I guess it's considered a single item, and they're afraid people might sit down and eat all of this by themselves, which and would be will. preferable to sharing it with anyone. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they have. <sighs> I'm sure they have. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I just I, and listen, we've all eaten Taco Bell. We've all had nachos at Taco Bell. They did not come out looking anywhere near like the fucking picture. No, it comes no. out <laughs> messy, half uncovered, and slip sliding all over the. It just feels mm. like the worst idea ever, and yet they brought it back, so it must be selling. But mm-hmm. I think it's disgusting. Yeah. I would rather. Never mind. Let's not even go any further than that. <laughs> there you well, go. I there think you it's go. disgusting. I'm glad you pumped the brakes there. Glad you pumped the brakes. <laughs> um, I I I I don't know where this rant's gonna go. Uh, but that's always uh, a good I, sign. <laughs> I think the the main thing I want to talk about is conspiracy theories. Ooh. Uh, the uh, the idea that you know the that there's there was this cabal that uh you know stole the election for the democrats in uh in the in the united states and the main thing for me is is like no matter what you hear in public from donald trump and his lawyers they're not saying that same thing in the courtroom and they're Mm. not proving it they're not saying here's the proof that we have and when you go down conspiracy theories uh the 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 horrible drain that is a conspiracy theory you start thinking well there's got to be one other level to this there's got to be another level to this nothing's ever going to satisfy you because you're going to just keep on hearing stuff that you don't want to hear so there's got to be some other thing that's out there and in this case it's oh they're playing 4d chess they're going into the they're going into these courtrooms and they're not presenting the evidence because then they'll get to the Supreme Court and then that's when they'll drop the hammer. That's not how mm-hmm. they work. That's not how courts work. You want to go into the first court and you want to win. You want to be able to go into that court and go, This is my evidence and this is what I this is what we know is going on. And you want to get a favorable ruling 
from that first judge because the more times you get rejected, the harder it is to get into a higher court to like get them to actually agree with you and everything. And they're getting stuff just dismissed. Mm -hmm. And so you keep getting this whole, like there's a bigger plan involved. There's a bigger plan. And like, yeah, they're just waiting. They're just waiting as someone I've told, I said this on, on the show many times as someone who, who believed in the JFK conspiracy theory for a very long time. Every time someone would say, well, what about this? you would always divert down to, well, it's the media that's like covering it up or it's, uh, or it's, they have the power to do that and everything. And a lot of times you have to end up just going, there's no way they could have kept all of this secret. There's no, there's no way that they could have done all of this, you know, without there being like, well, that's why all these people keep getting killed and blah, blah, blah. No, it's just, it's just, it's not, it's not, it's not as complex as you think it is. And if, you know, if you have, uh, if you have, uh, you know, if you have proof that there's something that's been going on, especially with thousands of election workers, there's no way there isn't like emails and there's not all sorts of like evidence that says this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and everything. There's no, there's no way there isn't that type of stuff, uh, yeah. And, and, and the, and I, I feel sorry for people who believe this type of stuff. They're the problem. Yeah. The person that, that perpetrates the untruth is culpable, but the people that believe it, especially blindly, mm-hmm. those are the real problem. Yeah. You know, you can have a demagogue that says anything. You know, you can say, have Kim Jong il say, that he got th- what 16 aces on golf and shot a 38 and then he retired from golf for forever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, whatever that's, that's objectively stupid, mm-hmm. but the people that believe him are the problem. And I think that's what we're getting into here. When you, when you hear people interviewed of like, yeah, obviously the media stole this from us and, uh, they've got proof. They, they said they've got proof. So they got proof. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, God damn, really? And you, that's not that's not even possible. I mean, it's a lot of it is spun out from uh, to to paraphrase Al Gore from inconvenient truths, right? Like you, they were. I feel like a lot of Trump supporters were positive he was going to crush this election and win by a landslide. So when he did not, there has to be some explanation. For why? Because it is it's too inconvenient a truth to believe that he just didn't get the votes. They have yeah. to have been stolen. And so that's where the conspiracy theories start. And then every layer of proof that comes under that creates another layer of conspiracy underneath to where it, a lot of it now just gets waved away by simple phrases like deep state and people don't even know what the fuck they're saying. Um, right. But this goes beyond politics, too. I mean, there are cults of... Uh, uh, some cults of religion, there are uh, flat earth conspiracy theorists. There are still people that think Tupac is alive very vehemently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. There were people that thought JFK Jr. was still alive, legitimate people on social media, and he was going to come out at the Republican convention and replace Pence as Trump's running mate. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so it's... Sounds- Sounds perfectly reasonable. I well, think it's, it's I, a I lot of echo chamber. Yeah, I think it's a lot of echo chamber in what I will call um, not well informed uh, areas of the world where 
You only get your information. Man, I was a kid, and I remember feeling like, man, the media is liberal against Republican George Bush. Why are they always so mean to him? They were mostly just being critical of a president. But my worldview and warped by those around me was that, well, you know, the media is liberal against Republicans. Fox News is the only station that is true. And that is, to my current state of mind, mathematically hilarious that I was able to convince myself every single media outlet except for one Mm -hmm. is the bad guy. And warped against us, but that one is the only one telling the truth. I don't know. I don't know how you get there, but I used to be there, mm-hmm. and I can only explain that the more I met people and the more I educated myself, both literally at college and socially, and uh, with the arts, the further I grew away from that belief system that allowed me to believe what I think is a conspiracy that the, that the. of the media is against Republicans. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, And, and, uh, I, I recently went through the vow, watched, uh, watched all of that. And, mm. uh, and, you know, same, same sort of thing there kind of where you have this, this idea, this person is doing great things. And so I've been helped by this person. So let's take, the next step. And he says, it's hard, but we'll, we'll keep doing it because it's hard and all this. And then, then of course, uh, you know, that guy uses that power to make a sex cult because that's what you do, uh, when, when you have that kind of power over people and you're, and you're always constantly knocking them down and, and telling them that they're not doing enough and so on and so forth. And I was sitting there going, my God, this is the same sort of deal we've got going on with politics. It feels like, um, the, the, the deep state thing, that's another thing. Like I'm sitting there going, you think these people are that powerful and yet they don't have everything that they want. How is that possible? <laughs> they're, well, they're lying in wait for the right moment. Apparently yeah. it wasn't, this wasn't it. Yeah, exactly. If they, if it, you know, if they really wanted everything that they wanted, then, you know, Texas would have turned blue and they would have gotten all the house of representatives and the senators and everything else. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, in the end, I wish there was a deep state. <laughs> oh my God. Sounds like an awesome place, man. <laughs> in, in the end, in the end, if you actually sit there and go through this entire thing, you sit there and go, man, that's just, that's just it, all that work just for that. The, I would be disappointed in my returns. Yeah. So, yeah. I, 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 you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if we, I mean, sure we do have, uh, listeners out there that, uh, will tune me out when I say this, but if you ever are in a situation where you're like, but what about this? And then what about that? And then somebody keeps giving you answers that are, you know, they keep giving you answers and you keep going down another level to say, well, what about this and that you're in a conspiracy theory, especially when direct contrary proof is w- wiped away. Uh, mm-hmm. just flatly ignored as like, well, look, if you were to say, here's a statistic from blah, blah, blah. Well, the, the other side controls that website or that government or about that, that right. agency or whatever. just wipe away facts and continue plowing forward. That's a conspiracy theory. Yeah. So, and not even the good Mel Gibson, Julia Roberts kind. God, no, that movie should have been so much better. It had mm-hmm. so much promise and it was just kind of a C plus. Yeah. It's not, unwatchable no it's not but it's not good but it's not <laughs> yeah. good 
I just keep thinking about Mark Whitaker at the end of the informant when he's like sitting there trying to come up with that next lie and with Scott Bakula and Bakula keeps coming up with all the just, he, I mean, he's running Mark into a dead end. And then finally he's like, Mark, you need to stop lying. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and then he gets back into that, like, but what about the doctor and the, what about this? And what about that? And what, and then finally he just shuts down and just goes, all right, you know, <laughs> and just, I'm done now. I can't, it's, it's too tiring to come up to keep this conspiracy theory alive. So, so do we have any recommends and warns? Totes amaze balls. Right. It won the Academy Award. Oh, for what? For best movie ever made. Yeah, you guys got some. Ooh, you, I know you do. You got none? I feel it. You got none? I see your bulge. Oh, uh, no, I've got one. If you want me to start, I can start because it's fun. Um, hit me. Uh, uh, okay. So I watched uh, The New Mutants last night. New Ooh. Mutants. Ooh. So this, uh, this movie was supposed to come out, what, in 2018? That sounds right. Uh, it was so. filmed in 2017. Feels like the first trailer I watched for this was a gazillion years ago. Mm -hmm. um, this was billed as kind of the horror uh, alternative to the X-Men, mm -hmm. the new mutants. It takes place in the X-Men universe. Now, this is a very popular comic series. Jeremy, did you ever read New Mutants? Nope. Okay. I'm not familiar at all with any of these characters. Uh, at least with X-Men, I was familiar with Wolverine and and rogue and stuff like that. Professor X and Magneto, not, uh, not familiar with any of these. Um, so it takes forever. Then it had the Disney Fox merger and that put it off even longer. And it was supposed to come out this time. It was supposed to come out this time, blah, blah, blah. Pandemic hits. Finally, it comes out in theaters and also, uh, I believe on Amazon. Um, and it's <laughs> to say it got panned would be, um, nice uh it currently sits at like a 5.3 on imd uh, db mm -hmm. and 33 percent aggregate rotten tomatoes the lowest of expectations going into this but i like Maisie williams i love anya taylor joy mm -hmm. i i really like the uh stranger kids thing uh charlie heaton and uh i was like you know what fuck it it's it's also short um i'm gonna give this a shot kind of liked it <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i couldn't hear you, you can you say that again i kind of liked it oh, all right. it's uh listen it's it's not it's not great by any stretch of the imagination the dialogue is clunky uh there's a lot of what the fuck how did that happen how did this happen that kind of thing but it's an insular story it literally takes place in two sets and really one is just at the beginning of the movie, uh, it's casually diverse. There's a nice queer love story happening mm -hmm. in the middle of this. That's very authentic. Uh, it's got honestly good to great performances from Maisie Williams and Anya Taylor joy. Anya Taylor joy plays against type, uh, completely in this movie. She plays a Russian, um, ne'er do well, uh, that is, is her nickname is magic and she can do all kinds of things. She can teleport. She can do a sword on her arm. She's a badass and she's very outgoing. She's bitchy. It's a, it's very different from what I've seen her play before. 
Maisie Williams plays the most adorable character I've seen in a long time. Uh, she's she's kind of head over heels in love with this new girl that comes in, a Cheyenne Native American. Uh, again, very casually diverse here. A Cheyenne a Native American uh, Moonstar, uh, nicknamed Mirage, uh, that comes in and she's our proxy of the exposition and everything. And the effects are generally terrible until the end. The end uh, effects, I think, are, are pretty good. The story's clunky. There's only six people in there. Mm-hmm. It looks like it was a Joe Swanberg horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 I I had a good time with it. I was enjoying it. I was enjoying the the repartee between the two. There's a scientist, evil scientist lady, uh, played by Alice Bar- Braga. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's very good, mm-hmm. and it 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 zooms along. I think it. I think there's a really good movie in here, but. Overall, it was enjoyable. Chris, did you ever watch this? I have not seen it yet. No, it is, uh, and and I believe Jonathan and uh, Aaron, our, our colleagues, said that it's far by far not the worst X Men film. And <laughs> absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, you've got the Wolverine, you've got X Men Origins Wolverine, yeah, you've got, Deadpool. Uh, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> you've got Apocalypse. You've got like you've got uh, Dark Phoenix. Um, this is probably not nearly as good as like first class or even the first round of X-Men, but it's better than last stand, I think. And, uh, I enjoyed myself. It's not gonna, it's not gonna get my dick hard or anything like that, but like, it's gonna, it's gonna, mm. I'm your gonna review, enjoy myself for your review has gotten mine hard, Barrett. <laughs> wow. I'm serious. This is. I think this is worth a watch mm-hmm. uh, for people uh, that are especially interested in X-Men. If you're a fan of the comics, apparently uh, Ani Taylor-Joy's character is very similar to the uh, magic character, Ileana Rasputin. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 it's not a foray. It's a wreck of warn, mm-hmm. I guess. But, like, I had a good time. I'll yeah. probably watch it again. Yeah. I'm not surprised yeah. by that. I'm not surprised. I mean, Is that right? Huh? I, I I honestly thought that this was going to be abysmal, like Dark Phoenix of abysmal and Apocalypse abysmal, but uh, yeah. it wasn't. Yeah, those movies have a have a different kind of working level of abysmal, right? Like the movies is too big. There's just too much going on all at yeah. once. Yeah. Like it's it's yeah. it gives you a headache watching it because there's so much so many characters, so many like ridiculous like objects flying around the screen. There's like all sorts of bullshit going on in those movies. Whereas new mutant seems a little bit smaller. So it, it's, it's general fuck upness or whatever. It's horribleness isn't on as big of a scale as those movies. Uh, so yeah, there you go. And it's it's a horror movie. It's there's, there's a lot of flatliners in it. There's a little bit of breakfast club in it. There's yeah. I, uh, I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I I liked it. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, All right. Give it a shot. All right. Give it a shot. Uh, I want to talk about a movie uh, that is from 2006. I think I've mentioned it before, but I don't think it was an official. I don't think we were doing recommends and warns at that point. Um, but it's called The Hoax, and it stars Richard Gere and Alfred mm-hmm. Molina. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, I want to pitch this as a double feature with The Aviator. Um, <clears throat> because The Hoax is about Richard Gere, an author who's got a book about to be published. He's celebrating. He goes to a party and finds out the book is not going to be published. The publishers decided to pass and he's mad. He's angry. 
And he storms into the conference room and says, my next book is going to be the greatest book ever. And you're going to be sad that you didn't get to sign it. Blah, 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 blah. And in the first few minutes of this movie, you're really not sure what to make of Richard Gere. But if you hang on, it's a hell of a performance. Uh, he goes, he's a buddies with Alfred Molina, another struggling writer. Uh, there's a very telling scene early on when they're on a plane to just get away for a while in the Bahamas. And um, <clears throat> Richard Gere says to Molina, you're an outstanding researcher and a fine writer. And you can tell <laughs> it breaks Alfred Molina's heart to, to hear that backhanded compliment. But they're mm-hmm. friends. They, they get kicked out of their hotel in the middle of the night because Howard Hughes has decided to come stay in their hotel. This is taking place in the well, Nixon presidency, so 70s. Um, and they're pissed at first. Like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? And then he's reading a Life magazine on the plane on the way back about Howard Hughes and concocts this idea that he met Howard Hughes while he was in the Bahamas. And he goes to sell a biography of Howard Hughes to his publisher. And, of course, they're fucking salivating. <laughs> um, and he basically gets them nibbling. And so off they go. They find this one obscure guy who worked in aviation who's still alive. They go to his house. Turns out he's got oodles of written documents and correspondence about Howard Hughes. And they're like, all right, he's reclusive. Nobody has seen him in years except for one or two close handlers. This is all real information about him. This is going to work. We're going to write this biography about Howard Hughes without ever having met the man. And the story basically just goes from there. There are a few times where the publisher questions them. Uh, There's another biography of Howard Hughes that is announced by a different publisher. And they're like, (laughs) what the fuck? Uh, He goes so far as to forge letters. He forges. There's this awesome scene where um, they're trying to create tapes, audio tapes uh, that they can use as resource materials, but they don't have any for real. And so Richard Gere starts out, he's listening to Howard Hughes and Howard Hughes is testifying before Congress and he says things in a very certain way. And Richard Mm -hmm. Gere starts, says things in a very, starts imitating him and he walks over to the microphone and he starts telling a story on the recorder about my father. I called him Big Frank, blah, 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 blah. And by the end of it, he fucking is Howard Hughes in that moment. And like <laughs> wow. Alfred Molina's like, Jesus Christ, man. Um, and it's just about how far one man is willing to go to 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 try and prove something that isn't really true in the first place, that he deserved to be a famous author. Um, and of course, the aviator is Leo DiCaprio playing Howard Hughes. Uh, I think it would make an excellent pairing. Um, yeah. Uh, but it's a great performance by Gear. Uh, in the end, he he fucks over everyone except himself. Uh, mm-hmm. This is based on a true story. Uh, this guy served time in prison. Um, and uh, I watched it once, I think, several years ago and, and liked it enough to mention it on the podcast. But I've actually come across it twice in the last couple of weeks and watched it all the way through both times. Hope Davis is in this. This is Lassa Hallstrom, the director who did uh, Cider House yeah. Rules and Chocolat. Yeah. Um, and it's like an 8.6 Rotten Tomatoes, 86%, I think, something like that. And uh, I recommend it. That's a full-throated recommend right there. Yeah, I saw this movie when it came out, and if you had asked me what it was about, I would have, I totally would have not been able to come up with the the story or anything. (laughs) It is Uh, on Hulu, (laughs) and it would also make a good double feature with that uh, Hayden Christensen movie. Oh, Shattered Glass? Yeah, where he's basically a, a fake writer, um, 
uh, those big good two double feet. There you go. Barrett just called it paper, paper glass. glass. <laughs> paper glass. Hey, uh, I I am. <clears throat> I saw the Aviator once, and I forgot all about it. Mm. Remind me what Howard Hughes's deal is. He's just rich, and he wanted to fly planes. Rich, eccentric. Uh, wanted to then, make movies too. He made yeah. movies as well. He wanted to do everything. Um, you could call him fairly an egomaniac, I think. And then he just got sick. He got his germophobia turned into a mental illness um, to where he went out of his mind. There's a the Simpsons. Yeah, my God. It's one of the funniest <laughs> ones ever. Parodies this. I think it's the casino episode. It is. Where Burns is steadily growing his fingernails out and his hair <laughs> long. And he's creating... <laughs> concocting a plane called the spruce goose or spruce goose goose. um oh it is yeah i think you could call him well one of them is the real because howard Howard hughes did the spruce goose i believe and this is the spruce goose that they made yeah anyway yeah he was uh hughes wanted to build a plane big enough to carry other planes but that that plane was built out of wood and it was a, a physics concern for quite a while but he was just he's portrayed in the film as being very eccentric and insistent like he would come out and say those rivets need to be flush and they'd be like oh so they have to rebuild the whole plane and they do and they come out and he rubs his hands along what are very clearly flush rivets and he goes (laughs) they need to be more flush and he walks off and they're like what the fuck what am i gonna do Um, so that's the kind of guy that he is portrayed to be in the film um certainly by reputation if you take the evidence in this hoax movie as well, he was considered a very eccentric billionaire who late in his life was a germaphobe that didn't want to see anyone. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. He, Interesting. That Simpsons has one of my favorite all time gags in it because he, he builds the spruce moose or spruce goose, whatever it is. And, uh, it's this tiny model plane that he's built. And so there's this idea that he's going to build a bigger plane or whatever. And then at the point where, uh, Mr. Burns wants to get back to the nuclear plant and everything. He's like, he's like, uh, come on Smithers, hop in to the spruce goose. And, uh, and, and Smithers looks down at the plane and he's like, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he's like, he's, he, he's like, but sir. And, and Burns pulls out a gun and like, cocks it and he's like, <laughs> I said, up in. <laughs> uh and yeah hughes's was the goose that means burns's was the moose yep 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 um before i get into the movie that i'm going to talk about uh the uh what do you guys remember about the trailer for antebellum what do do you do you guys remember what that movie was about when you saw the trailer did you have the idea you knew what it was about i'm not sure i saw the trailer i saw the trailer and and no i there was a lot of plastered produced by Jordan Peele mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Janelle Monet. I did see yeah. that trailer. Uh, yeah. So yeah, but I didn't get a, a sense at all of what it was about. I, I didn't quite know what I was uh, going to watch. Um, I know that it sort of came and went as far as a streaming, like it, it came out on uh, streaming services. Uh, it was supposed to be a, a theatrical release, I think in February or March of this year uh maybe even april probably probably april because it would have come out in february mm-hmm. um but uh but i i didn't quite know what i was getting into but i knew enough of that trailer that <sighs> i hate going into a movie and watching it about 10 minutes in i know what they're doing 
I know what the thing is that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so th- this becomes a wreck of worn. I don't, I, I don't know if it's because the trailer tipped me off or if it was just, I just had that ease, just, you know, I was like, Oh man, this is exactly what's going to happen in this. Um, uh, but I think you can, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to say, I'm going to try to talk about this movie without spoiling it. But Janelle Monet is on a plantation. There, there's, there seems to be an escape kind of brewing is what everybody, everybody seems to be wanting to like trying to figure out a way to escape from this place. Uh, and, uh, there's a point where, and I think that Janelle Monet is sort of a, um, she's one of the, like a concubine type of slave that they have on, on, on the, on the fields and everything. Mm. Um, and so there's this, so there's like, she's well known in this community. Everybody tries to come and try to talk to her secretly. And like, I know who you are. Let's say we need to make our escape soon and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, I don't think it's giving too much. I don't know if it's giving too much away. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to debate if you, I don't want you to like have to cut all of this out, but I'm trying to think of what's going and how to describe this movie without Mm. without messing up anything that you might be surprised about because i think what i thought when i saw the trailer was that there were if i even talk about what i think this movie was about it's going to give away the the the, what they're trying to do in this Mm. so maybe i don't know maybe i shouldn't talk about this movie um (laughs) because it's impossible to talk about it without giving it away. And maybe, maybe, maybe it never was a surprise. I don't know. If you go to the IMDB, you can see images. I just don't, you may still be going, wait a minute. Why is there modern day? And why is there like the 1800s in this too? Why is there modern day in the 1800s? Um, so it's the village. Mm-hmm. It's the fucking village, man. This movie, ah, the fucking village. That's not even creative. I wasn't creative when M. Night did it. <laughs> I. That's why I'm. I don't know if it's that much of a surprise. If you go to the IMDb, you'll see Janelle Monet as this uh, this uh, motivational speaker, author type person, and you see uh, like uh, you know her. You see her life, um, and she's married. She has a kid. Uh, and she goes on these, uh, she goes on these talks, her, she's got, uh, a couple of friends, uh, Gabare Sadibi is one of them. I don't know if, uh, I don't know who the other person is. That's her friend, but you start seeing characters from the 1800s that show up in her, in her modern day. So it's like Jenna Malone shows up and she wants to interview her for this big opportunity. Uh, you saw Jenna Malone in the 1800s though. And she was like an evil fucking bitch in the 1800s. And, and so you're like, okay, what, how does this react relate to what's going like? There's, there's something going on here, but I knew this within the first 10 minutes. That's where they were going. It just seemed Mm. too obvious. That's where they were going. Um, in that the fact that they are basically being interviewed and then kidnapped, uh, to be slaves on this plantation, uh, that they're keeping secret from everybody. Hmm. So that's 
spoils it. And then when you spoil it, what do you say about the movie? It looks great. The performances are great. Uh, but I I don't know if there's any reason to say, to tell people, Hey, Hey, watch this movie because you're going to pick out the surprise in the first 10 minutes of this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It wasn't Jordan Peele didn't direct this. No, he's a, like an executive producer. I think, um, it's, uh, Gerard Bush and Christopher Wren's Um, MC Wren. Yeah. MC Wren. Christopher Wren's. He's done some videos. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do you think? Should we cut that out completely? No, I think it's fun. You think it's I fun? think it's fun too. So yeah, it's got a that? 28 on Rotten Tomatoes. So I don't think there's like a, a salivating audience out there. I know that this was it. panned. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't That's know anything know about, about it. it. I didn't know what the critics were saying. I did see the IMDb score, but like, yeah, it's the fucking village, man. Yeah, man. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not awesome, but awesome. You sit there and you're like watching it and you're going, I mean, even the way they're talking to each other, you're like this if this was the village, this is exactly what they would say. They, they're, 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 they're trying to get their way around, uh, the, they're trying to get their way around the surprise by saying certain vague things. And you're sitting there going, why are you saying these vague things? <laughs> There's no reason to say the vague things like, <laughs> like, like when they say, I know who you are. And then, and then they say, and one of them goes, this is not a situation. One of the, one of the people who come up to her, comes up to her says, this is not a situation that I'm, I'm ready to be in or whatever. I'm like, yeah, that's something like if you were in the village, you would say that because you have, <laughs> you have, um, you have a, a modern day sensibility about this. It wasn't exactly like that, but it was something to that effect. She was like, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I got to get out of here. I have a kid, uh, in North Carolina and they keep saying that like they're, they've got, uh, this life in North Carolina and whatever, they got this life somewhere else and whatever. And so you just sort of got to get this idea that, yeah. And then, and then like when Janelle Monet, like, uh, goes to bed with one of the dudes, uh, there, uh, there's a, the, the way they transition is, is to transition to the modern day is she, she lies down and then you hear a phone ring and I was like, Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. I actually thought that the phone was ringing at the plantation. That's how, uh, you know, sure I was that this was, but they go to the modern day and she's lying next to her husband. And so it tries to keep you off guard by saying, okay, so now this is the modern day, but this is Janelle Monet in the modern day. You know, like they're, it's almost like they're trying to do like, is this dead again? Are they trying to do something where it's like, you know, one of those type of things where it's reincarnation or something like that. The modern day folks are going to get back at the, at, you know, at the, the people that oppressed them in the 1800s and everything. Are they going to get that? No, it's, they are them. They are the same that this is all of it's the modern day. Uh, so uh, the the Rekka is how it looks and how the performances are, but the Warren is and, everything else. And, and that there are people like this out there that probably would want to do something like this. There are probably people out there who would want to do this because, uh, you know, the if you hear once the cat is out of the bag in this whole thing, and they start in the and you have the people who run the plantation start talking freely, you're like, oh, okay. 
Okay. So you want it. Okay. You, you, this is based on some real people that I mm. get you. Um, and, uh, that's how they, that's, that's how they're, they're, they get to it. And like, yeah, it's, it's actually like, it's actually like fun to watch in a way, but it's also once if you know for a fact what's going to happen, almost everything just falls flat at that point because mm. you know where it's going. So there's no, there's no tension there. There's no, uh, there's no like, Oh, I wonder what's going to happen. Maybe some people out there are like that. Maybe. I mean, not after this, no, not after this, not if they <laughs> listen to me, but, but there might be people out there who, who don't listen to us and who are those people. There's nobody like that out there. Um, uh, the, you know, the, the there's going to, there, there will be people out there who don't have any idea what's going on. They're going to be confused when it goes to the modern day. They're going to be like, what happened? What's going on? You know, I've, I've, I've watched many movies with people like that over the years. <laughs> I remember, I remember watching, was it <laughs> to go from antebellum to good luck, Chuck. Um, there you go. Then I remember there's a, there's a scene, there's like an early scene in the movie where Dane cook, I think he's got like, I, and it could be a number of Dane cook movies that came out. It may not even be good luck, Chuck for all I know, but, I remember there's a point where he's got like a ring or something, or he got a ring out of a Cracker Jack box or something. It's something with something to do with a ring. And at the end, there's a big like, um, airplane sequence where he, he, he runs on the airplane to go get, I think it's Jessica Alba. And, uh, and he's like telling her that how much he loves her and everything. And I was watching this with a bunch of employees and I was like, watch, he's going to bring out the ring and he pulls out the ring. And a bunch of people were like, Chris, God, you spoiled it. Blah, blah, blah. It's seriously. <laughs> and I was God. like, are you serious? You couldn't see that coming? <sighs> and that's why we have nine Fast and Furious movies. That's true. That's right. That's very true. That's right. All right, guys. It's time to talk about movie. Movie. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. been a while since we've been able to talk about movie, but we're talking about movie again. And Ooh. bam, there's some good shit, as always, on movie. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a Western called the Hellbenders. Uh, oh yeah, excellent uh, title. Yeah, I, I think here it might have a different name. Uh, uh, the Cruel Ones is what it's called. I think huh. here in America, uh, it is one of those uh, spaghetti westerns where you have. Uh, I I don't I I need to learn more about this because I don't know if it's Italian directors coming over here to shoot westerns. Or if they were shooting them over in Italy and then, you know, whatever. Uh, that well, Leo mean. DiCaprio had to fly all the way to Italy to make his. In <laughs> so that's time probably in what it is then. That's probably what it is then. Uh, it's directed by Sergio Corbucci. Um, mm. And the music is by uh, Ennio Morricone. But he's going oh, under. He's going under his like pseudonym in this one. Like it's Leo Nichols, I believe, is what he's going by in this. Huh. Like when I read the synopsis, it was like music by Ennio Morricone, and then the credits came up, and it was like Leo Nichols, and I was like, wait a minute, what's going on? <laughs> hmm. Um, hmm. But yeah, that's a name that he used a couple of times for uh, some of his movies. Anyway, um, it is about uh, this group, this this small gang of. Uh, of uh i guess like uh 
former Confederate soldiers, or at least uh, the the main, the father was part of the part of the Confederacy. The war, the Civil War, is over at this point. Uh, but uh, the the main guy is played by Joseph Cotton, who you may um, oh yeah yeah who's who's a all timer um, and uh, and they he has the idea that he's going to rob this uh, this uh, stagecoach this like thirty man stagecoach that has all this money that's going to be shredded I guess or whatever mm. he's going to steal that money and he's got ideas man he's got ideas. <laughs> He's going to take this money and he's going to create a new Confederate army and he's going to take over the government and install a new one with this money. Wow. Oh shit. That's right. That's right. Um, so once they, once they acquire this money, uh, the, the idea is that they are a family that is traveling, uh, across the country to bury, uh, bury somebody who died in the war and they have uh, a, a, a woman playing the widow who's not really a widow. Uh, and, uh, and it's a bunch, it's, it's sky and it's like uh, three brothers, th- his three sons. Um, and uh, they keep running into obviously posses and cavalries and all these different things. And they always have to like, you know, sort of like talk their way out of whatever situation. Um, but yeah, uh, a very good movie. It's a, it's a very simple story to this whole thing. It's like, you know, you're, you know, you know that these people are horrible and you don't want them to win, uh, obviously. Uh, but it is, it is interesting because you sit there and keep on wondering how is, what's going to be their downfall? What's going to be their downfall? What's going to be their downfall? Cause they get into a lot of shit in this movie. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was very good. Joseph Cotton is really good. This is one of his latter day performances. He's, 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 he's a lot older at this point. This was 1967. Um, Mm. and yes, that music by Ennio Morricone is, is unmistakably him. It's unmistakably, especially in that era where he was making a lot of those for Sergio Leone as well. Um, and everything, but the hell were they all Sergio? What the Italian spaghetti Western directors are they all named Sergio? <laughs> it seems like it, right? The uh, the the Sergio Leone and Sergio Corbucci. I think there might have been maybe one other Sergio. Who... I think even the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood guy they name, like the second most popular director of Italian spaghetti westerns. I think he's a Sergio something. Oh yeah, this might <laughs> be that guy. It actually, it might this actually might, be that. Might guy. be the guy they're talking about. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's really good. And, uh, and like I said, very simple, uh, and, uh, and, uh, just well, it's, 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 it's definitely one of those that's well worth watching and well worth getting the service, which you can get for free for a while. So, you know, that's right. So, uh, that's right. Yeah. All you have to do is go to movie.com slash cinema sins. You get 30 days free. That's 30 days free. That'll last you to almost the end of the year. People, uh, let me tell you a couple of, of, of good options on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so they got they got the 30-day lineup where a new movie is added, a new film is added every day, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, the ones that uh, are, are replaced, they go to a library, and they've got a great library. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. It's, it's chock full of great stuff. And so there's a hole in my cinematic heart that I'm embarrassed about. Mm. And it's uh, it's Charlie Chaplin. Oh, I have very rarely seen 
uh, any Chaplin. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen the movie Chaplin with Robert Downey Jr., but that doesn't count. Yeah. Although <laughs> Downey, um, Downey's awesome as Chaplin in that he movie. He is. Downey is awesome. Uh, didn't win, but was nominated for Was uh, nominated, yes. Oscar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they have uh, the 1917 classic, The Immigrant, on mm-hmm. the library right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just decided I'm going to immerse myself. It's a short, shortish film, silent film. Um, about 24 minutes or so. I wanted to immerse myself in Charlie Chaplin, and this is one of his iconic performances. Uh, he is playing, you get to that in a second, he's playing an immigrant coming over uh, from Europe um, in the height of uh, you know, World War I and, uh, and coming to Ellis Island and figuring out how to live in America. And it's done all silently. It's done all with physical comedy. As he's coming through, the boat is rocking and he's doing his Charlie Chaplin dancing where he's, you know, trying to keep up. He's uh, he's trying to eat food, but the the bowl keeps sliding and he gets a taste and then it slides to the guy across the, from him and he gets a taste and then it slides back to him. And he finds this this woman uh, who's taking care of her mom and uh, he, he befriends her and they go to a restaurant once they get to um, – to America. And it's just the goes wrong show that we just talked about fairly recently. Yeah. Uh, British comedy that is chock full of physical comedy. Mm-hmm. That's really where they mine the most laughs. I think there's clever wordplay, but they, they really mind the physical comedy scrubs. We were talking about at some point, uh, physical comedy. Nobody ever, has done physical comedy like Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. And you can see way back in 1917, the ground that he was breaking in this, and it still resonates today. Now, the message, interestingly, is how immigrants were treated in 1917 as they were coming in, uh, especially if they had no money, especially if they had no contacts, that kind of thing, that resonates today, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a shot... And I've always, you know, when I've been to the Statue of Liberty a couple of times, I've always imagined myself in a Vito Corleone type of situation or the situation that Charlie Chaplin is in. When you've made that journey across the Atlantic and you see the Statue of Liberty as you're pulling into America, it has to give you chills. And they allow, even though this is a, a broad farce and comedy, they allow that moment to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty beautiful. So I would totally recommend The Immigrant. For for that alone, sign up for Mubi, uh watch that, watch the uh the 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 Hellbenders uh or the Cruel Ones um that that Chris recommended. There's also a Danish movie that I really want to get into at some point. I'll save that for another time called Queen of Hearts. Uh that's spectacular. Go to mubi.com. God, it feels good to say this again. <laughs> uh go to mubi.com/cinemasins. What you're gonna get, people? Thirty days, tree o, tree o, free. Mm-hmm. Damn, it feels good free. to go to movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, come on. What do you, what do you have to lose? Go to movie.com, m u b i dot com slash cinemasins. You are going to bathe in the cinematic goodness. You're gonna wash your hair with it. You're going to. It's gonna be scented. There's gonna be bubbles, and 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 you're gonna soak it in through your pores Mm -hmm. and you're going to be happy. You're going to be relaxed. You're going to be enjoying it. Uh, Go to movie.com slash cinema sins. 30 days, 30 days 
10 years, <laughs> 30, 30 days free. Mm-hmm. Uh, do it now. Okay. So we're going to do a casting of a movie that came out 25 years ago called Apollo 13. I watched part of this what? yesterday. You watched this yesterday? I watched a good chunk of this yesterday. It is ah. fantastic. It is probably still my favorite Ron Howard movie. Um, yeah, mine too. Uh, Except for uh, Far and Away. Yeah, Far and Away. I mean, nothing beats that. But um, but yeah, we're going to recast it um, uh, as, as we have been known to do over the years. Recast movies that are perfectly fine and don't need to be recast. But um, <laughs> if we were to do it, who would we put in all the different roles? Who wants to start? Well, part of this is the uh, the twenty five year anniversary of Apollo thirteen, and and interestingly enough, I mean, when we saw this in nineteen ninety five, I wasn't familiar with the story mm-hmm. of Apollo thirteen. Were you guys? No, no. I mean, it was it was nineteen sixty nine, something it was like in that. In the seventies, it was nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy. Okay. Yeah. So it was 25 years removed. I was from that when, when did the Beatles break up, Barrett? Because the daughter is upset about that. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, uh, I was well aware of the Houston We Have a Problem, though, long before I knew anything about Apollo 13. I think I had learned more about the, the one that caught fire um, before it yeah. launched than I did mm. the Apollo 13. Yeah. Um, so the movie was really yeah. my first education. So it was it was 25 years or so before the movie came out, and we didn't know anything about it. And so it's now been 25 years, and I bet you a lot of our listeners maybe haven't seen the movie or not familiar with the story. Uh, not to mention that uh, this we were planning on doing this last week. SpaceX uh, just launched their first operational mission last week uh, with astronauts going up to the ISS, and it was it was maybe like the 25th top story in the news that day mm-hmm. um now obviously there's stuff going on but that's a gigantic feat it was uh it it was a a, a rocket launched on american soil uh from spacex uh with i think it's five american crew members and one japanese crew member uh going up to do operational stuff on the the iss and it seems like people are just not interested in space anymore. After Apollo 13, uh, Tom Hanks partnered with, I think, Ron Howard again, right? To do From the Earth to the Moon? I don't, I don't oh, it just Brian Grazer. Brian Grazer. Grazer. Okay. Well, then that's basically Ron Howard. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's with the uh, so, and so, entertainment and everything, bro. Yeah, and Hanks got really into space stuff uh, for a long time, probably still is. And I'm fascinated with it. So that was kind of the impetus of this, the 25th anniversary. And let's get back to space. So, all right. So this movie t- stars Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon and Bill Paxton as the uh, the astronauts in Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. So I'll start there with my recasting of modern day uh, actors. Now, listen, these are based on real people. They were all white. They were mostly dudes. So I apologize if we're not uh more diverse this is just kind of mapping on to uh the 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 real people here so jim lovell uh who was the the mission command uh in the uh the the spaceship um the tom hanks character the houston we have a problem 
great performance. I'm picking Bill Hader. Mm. And the reason that I'm picking Bill Hader is that Tom Hanks, heretofore, before uh, 93 was Philadelphia, 94 was Forrest Gump, uh, and then this. But before that, man, it was almost all comedy. It was almost all comedy, and he was hilarious. He was great. He was charismatic. We didn't know he had a dramatic side, really, until Philadelphia. Uh, the one that he did with Jackie Gleason, I forget nothing the name in of common. it. Uh, nothing, Turner nothing and in Hooch. Common. Yeah, Turner, Turner and Hooch. <laughs> yes. Uh, right. Showed a little bit of dramatic um, uh, chops. But uh, by this point, he had already won two Academy Awards in a row and uh, fully converted from comedy to uh, seriousness. Bill Hader. I think could totally do that, especially based on his performance in Barry. Uh, so yeah, Bill Hader. Well, you guys, you guys, all right with that? It's yeah, not well, too like bad that. with Jim Lowe. I like yeah. that. Uh, Jack Swigert is going to be the Kevin Bacon character that gets replaced. Uh, well, I mean, he is the replacement for Ken Mattingly uh, late in the uh, the mission prep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kevin Bacon, uh, the, the 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 guy. Uh, I'm going to pick a slim down. Channing Tating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. That was accidental. No, it wasn't. Right. Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. Get a, get a, he's, he's, he's cut. He's swole. He's swole. Mm-hmm. We got to slim him down a little bit so he can fit through all those little hatches and stuff. And uh, I think he's got some real ass chops, man. Uh, so Channing Tatum is going to be my Jack Swigert. Fred Hayes, is the Bill Paxton character, uh, who thinks he has the clap? Is that what it is? No, uh, he, it, it's it's yeah, <laughs> it's the flu. The, uh, the flu. Um, he, he he he. There's a point where he says, "I think Swiker gave me the gave me the crap. gave me the clap." Oh, okay, okay, all right. There we go. That's what I was remembering. By the way, uh, anyway, even back in <laughs> yeah. 1970, somebody even possibly has the flu, they don't let him fly. And they and they do social distancing and everything in the yeah. movie. Yeah, so, yeah, so and like, exactly. And of course, Ken Mattingly was exposed to some measles, measles yeah. uh, strain too, and that was why he couldn't go. I also so, love uh, that it's a part in the beginning of this movie. Sorry, uh, where it's it's right at the beginning, and he's driving in his Corvette with his wife, and a car pulls up next to him, and the guy's like, "Hey, aren't you Jim Lovell?" And it makes me laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh like anyone would ever pull up alongside the astronaut of the 13th Apollo mission and recognize him by sight at night. Hey, they were uh, they were popular back then. Indeed. Uh, so half the point of the movie is that they were no longer popular. People weren't watching anymore. Oh, that's true. That's back. true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, Fred Hayes, Bill Paxton character. I'm going to go with Simon Pegg, and there's a reason for this. Uh, first of all, I think he matches up physically uh, to what Fred Hayes would be, but also Simon Pegg can do a dope ass American accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw him in that Inheritance movie. Is that what it, that was called? I believe that. Um, that uh, he did a phenomenal American accent. So I think he can do this. I uh, got a little Southern twang to it, but I, I think he can twang. Do it. Uh, Gene Krantz, flight flight commander, down on the uh, the 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 mission control. Chris Evans, baby, mm-hmm. who's more authoritative than Chris Evans? Now, Ed Harris was perfect. I mean, perfect for this role. I mean, he's stoic. He is authoritative. He is like, get this shit done. I don't care for your excuses. Just get it done. I think Chris Evans could pull that off. 
I think uh, he's one of the few in Hollywood that that commands that sort of attention mm-hmm. uh, in the, in this generation. Mm. Ken Mattingly, the poor Gary Sinise that uh, is trapped in a simulator for 15 hours or however long it was, probably longer. Not in real life. Uh, do what? I don't think that's real. No, no, it no. didn't. I mean, it's wonderfully satisfying in the movie when they are problem solving and they figure that out. And you got to know, you got to think that in real life, when they were practicing all these scenarios before the, the rocket went up, by the way, that that was sort of how they came about that type of thing. And they, I don't know how excited they were about that, but, uh, but yes, the, all of that stuff that Ken Mattingly does towards the end where it's like, Oh my God, are they going to figure out how to switch the power from the limb to the, you know, to the main, to the main ship and all that. And he comes up with that perfect way to do it. It's so beautiful in the movie. But yeah, oh, it's so great. He's like, he keeps flipping switches, and he's like, "We're, we're still under." Mm-hmm. He keeps flipping the other one. We're still under. Yeah, and then he gets it. You can Dean. see the relief. You <laughs> can Dean see the relief. So great in it. Dude. Absolutely like wash over him. Yeah, and then of course when he when he radios uh, 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 Apollo, he's like, "That's a Roger." I don't have the measles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, fuck. Yeah, and they show the but doctors. But anyway, if he, weren't, if he weren't on the ground, at least in the movie's context, they would be fucked. Mm-hmm. Because he was the only one. He's like, did they have this? And they're like, no. Then I don't have this. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, so anyway, uh, Gary Sinise, his character, Ken Mattingly, played by Jason Bateman, mm-hmm. uh, who I think can can kind of do that serious Gary Sinise type of uh, delivery. Gary Sinise is a very individual actor. I can't tell if he's good or not, uh, but I think he is. Uh, but I think Jason Bateman can pull off that. Role. Yeah, Sinise comes from a, a stage background and uh, everything. I, 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 But yeah, he never had that one, like, I mean, Forrest Gump might be his, he'll be, he'll always be remembered for that Lieutenant Dan performance, mm-hmm. but like, uh, I, I know what you're saying. There's never been that one where you're just like, Oh my God, Gary Sinise just knocks it out of the park here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus he's got, his face is all fucked up. Like what? he's got a, he's got a fucked up face. Uh-huh. Okay. Anyway. All right. <laughs> uh, Marion Lovell, uh, uh, Jim's wife, uh, who is played beautifully by Kathleen Quinn uh, Quinlan, uh, Showing that she knows what she signed up for, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, she, she's a loving wife. She's a great mom, but like she knows, she knows how shit goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to put Elizabeth Olsen in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. she, she needs to get back to uh, doing some prestige acting because she's too good to just do Scarlet Witch over and over. I, agree. Again, I think mm-hmm. uh, Mary Hayes. That's right. I cast uh, Fred's. Uh, Fred's fucking wife, mm-hmm. Tracy Reiner, played her. Mm-hmm. It's going right. to be uh, Kate, Kate McCucci. And I okay. could totally All see right. Kate McCucci and, uh, Ch- and uh, Simon Pegg getting it out. <laughs> yeah, totally. They're getting it Henry out right Hurt, now. The, uh, the, <laughs> uh, the spokesperson for NASA that comes out and gives the uh, press updates, Henry Hurt, who is played by the inimitable Xander Berkeley yes. is going to be Corey Stahl. Yeah, yeah. And this is uh Corey Stahl's a good pick. Uh, this is one person that they made up for the movie. Yeah. Right. He's a, he's an amalgam of, of a bunch of different NASA employees. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like uh, Morgan uh, Freeman in some of all fears. 
He's yeah. just like yeah. Morgan Freeman. It <laughs> <laughs> looks exactly like him. Uh, Corey Stahl, uh, yeah, I think he could totally pull that off. Deke Slayton, mm-hmm. the great J.J. Abrams appendage, Greg Grunberg. It's yeah. going to be Deke Slate. There you go. The man who is behind the man who's behind the man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Grunberg, by the way, is a quick aside, has a family member, I think a son with epilepsy. When I was working in neurology, he did a lot for the Epilepsy Foundation mm. uh, to raise a lot of money. So he's a good dude. Uh, and I like that he's in all these J.J. Abrams projects, even if it's just to blow up in the next one. <laughs> uh, and... The last one. Yes, I did cast Jim's mom mm-hmm. who says that if they put a washing machine in space, my Jimmy could land. Yeah, it. that's right. Gene Spiegel, Howard Plater and Lynn Shea, friend of the show. Perfect. Lynn Shea Perfect. is yeah. going to play Jim's mom. Did you cast the son that's at military school watching? He doesn't have a line. <laughs> that's going to be Jacob Tremblay. Yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, I, I, I love that scene. Where uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin are talking to his mom and just calming her down, and she's like, "Fuck you, I'm not, I'm calm." Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna fucking land this shit. Yeah, and uh, I've taken too long on mine, but uh, that's my cash for Apollo. Well, and especially too when he tells that story. When we did a Heart of the Movie um, episode, I talked about the one where the part in this movie where um, Lovell talks about how he sees the algae. Uh, when he doesn't have yeah, the yeah. the lights uh, and everything, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that his lights didn't go, out, he'd never have seen something like that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he's like, you never know what's going to get you home. And it's, and, 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 and it's him basically talking to his family because his family's watching the TV and, yeah. and, uh, you know, basically giving them a message, a pre-recorded message, essentially saying, don't worry about this. I've got this. Um, mm-hmm. um, I went basically, I went, uh, I went to, um, Wikipedia and started looking up all these real dudes and looking up what they looked like and everything. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these are like the closest thing that I could, uh, come to as far as what these actual astronauts looked like. Uh, and some, uh, you know, I'm sure that there are probably more apt, um, actors for some of these, but, uh, I, I got I tried to get as close as I could for Jim Lovell. I have Ryan Reynolds, uh, playing, uh, playing Lovell. I couldn't Ooh. for the life of me really figure out cause Lovell is a good looking dude. He's like, uh, um, he's, this is exactly who you would picture as the, the head of a, you know, uh, of a mission. Um, and I, I, I stared into his eyes for a really long time. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, who could play you? And Ryan Reynolds is finally who ended up uh, coming to me on this. A fine choice. <clears throat> yeah. Did you ever see Life? I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did the, see the, the space movie. I did. He, he was in that, right? Yes, he, he was. was. So was Jake Gyllenhaal. That's, that's uh, is it, is it bad? Mm. just not good that's what i hear okay it's yeah it, i hear it's, it's, it's your basics uh, you know it's your basic uh alien, alien life space yeah yeah bullshit all right. all right um for jack swaggart i have topher grace uh playing <laughs> nice if you if you look at uh now if you look at pictures of jack swaggart they perfectly cast him with kevin bacon 
Uh, yeah. he's, he's absolutely Kevin Bacon, but, uh, I was sitting there trying to think who would be a, a good close second and Topher Grace came to mind. Good call. For, nice. for Fred Hayes, I have Billy Crudup playing him. Mm, um, yeah. Billy Crudster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's had a sneaky, really good career. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Mission Impossible, Watchmen. Like he's 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 done some shit. Yeah, man, he does. Know? He definitely has. Uh, for Gene Kranz, I have Barry Pepper, and uh, if you look at if you look at Gene Kranz, uh, he he's got a lot of Barry Pepper look to him. They cast Ed Harris, who's just a dynamo, in, in Apollo thirteen. Uh, it would be hard for Barry Pepper to match Ed Harris uh, for the intensity that he provides, uh, especially when he's like, "God damn it, I don't want to hear any more fucking figures. I want to, I want to, I want to hear results and all that." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, Pepper needs a little renaissance too, because mm-hmm. uh, he had a great late '90s, pretty good early 2000s, and. I don't remember the last thing he's been in. Yeah, I saw him in something recently, and I can't remember what it was. Uh, something that came out yeah. recently. Uh, for Ken Mattingly, I have Matt Smith, who's one of the Doctor Who. Um, yeah. uh, if you look at Ken Mattingly's pictures, that was a tough one for a really long time. I was sitting there just like, who who could it be that could? Because Ken Mattingly's like got this. He's 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 bald, but he's got a like a different shape of a head that that I'm not familiar. Like it's it it makes it sound like it makes it sound like I'm being like I'm bagging on him, but he's got a different shape to his head, and I'm sitting there going, "What actor fits that?" Um, and and, and there was one actor that came to mind, but he wasn't a name actor, and I couldn't didn't know who I didn't know what movie to look look up and try to find who this. I don't know that guy's name, but uh, ended up on Matt Smith. Uh, for Marilyn Lovell, I have Katie Holmes. Um, oh, nice! Uh, if you if you love look, Katie Holmes, yeah. If you look at uh, actual pictures of Marilyn Lovell, she's got this sort of almost Jackie Kennedy kind of look to her. Uh, but if you know it, I think I think Katie Holmes would be would be perfect there. For Mary Hayes, I only found one picture of her, a couple of pictures of her, but Claire Foy is what came to mind for for Mary Hayes. Um, Didn't she play? Uh, yeah, she did. Armstrong in, uh, in First Man. In First Man, yeah, yeah, she did. Funny. She did. Nice. She's uh, awesome in that movie, by the way. Like mm-hmm. she is. I mean, yes. I know what I know what he's doing, but she almost steals the movie acting wise. I think. <clears throat> yeah, I yeah. agree. Um, for Deke Slayton, I have John Slattery playing him Uh, oh nice nice slattery that was uh what chris ellis played deke slayton and he was in everything in the 90s yeah well especially if it's connected to tom hank because he's in um from the earth to the moon he's in that thing you do um my bird dog and days are done Mm -hmm. um he's great i love that guy yeah 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 uh, for Henry Hurt, the Xander Berkeley character, I have Giovanni Ribisi playing. Nice. <laughs> I think he would he would play the requisite oiliness that the uh, press guy would uh, uh, would do there. So uh, Giovanni Ribisi would be would be perfect. And then for Jim's mom, Blanche Lovell, I have Mercedes Rule playing her. Ooh, um, she's mm. oh, huh? yeah. Mm. 
seventies. There were a lot of there were a lot of actresses that I thought of that were like ninety something years old, which is uh, which is fine, but that's way older than even the actor that was playing Jim's yeah. mom. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, she looked. And I think they made her up yeah, to, yeah. to look super, super old. But mm-hmm. she, the actress, Jean Spiegel Howard, was not old. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's yeah. amazing when you look up some of these. I was like, what about this person? And you're like, wow, they're 95 and they're still alive. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, there's my casting. Oh, well, right. you know, Jean Spiegel Howard, by the way, I, I thought about this, but I didn't look it up until now. She's uh, Ron's mom. That's what I figured when you said her name. Mm. and uh ron and clint well yeah and uh and bryce, bryce dallas, dallas is that's a her, nepotism uh, family yeah it is that's right anyway nepotistic sorry. um <clears throat> all right so for tom hanks i am casting chris pine um mm-hmm. it's interesting how we all have our own approaches chris looks at the pictures and i look at the ages so i'm trying to get actors that are very close in age to what the original actors were when they played the part. I don't know why that's important to me, but it is. He's uh, he was about thirty nine, something right? like that. When if he, I remember who? right, yeah. Who Jim Tom Hanks. Hanks. Uh, Tom Hanks was well. No, Tom Hanks. Well, Hanks was forty one. No, he was thirty. No, he was thirty nine. I think. I think he's right. I think thirty nine's right. Is Chris Pine around there? I think he's getting close. Chris Pine is over. Wow. He's forty. I think. I think he's forty. Is that right? He's forty years old. God damn that boy is. Looking fine. For yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish I looked that good. For uh, Kevin Bacon, I am casting Colin Hanks with a little bit of fun here. Mm-hmm. After Ooh, our, yeah, we're talking about nepotism. This is the second time I've cast a son uh, after the Skarsgård incident with Hunt for October. <laughs> right. Um, for Bill Paxton, you notice I'm not saying the character names because why bother? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Skarsgård, I have Alexander Skarsgård in the Bill Paxton role here. Oh, nice. He does not have the clap. I think Swaggart gave me the clap. Yeah. Uh, For Ed Harris's flight commander, I want John Hamm. A little bit more madman in this. Mm -hmm. uh, Oh, that's solid. I feel like that's a commanding. Yeah, presence. John Hamm could like his FBI guy in the town could totally transition into this. Like he's got that card. For Ken Madeline, Gary Sinise doesn't get to go to space. I want Jesse Plemons. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny to you for some reason. Mm-hmm. Fine actor. All right. Uh, for Marilyn Lovell, Tom Hanks's wife, I'm going with Amy Smart. Yeah. Um, Ooh. Um, with black hair. Oh, ah. sure. It's a wig. <laughs> uh, for Fred Hayes's wife, <laughs> I, I wrote. For Fred Hayes's wife, I wrote Skip. No fucking clue. Skip. Um, for Xander Berkeley's. For Xander Berkeley's media uh, guy, I want Kyle Chandler because Kyle Chandler has to be in everything. Kyle Chandler would be that yeah. guy. And yeah. uh, the Chris Ellis Deke Slayton guy, I want Matthew McConaughey to give me some yeah. of that Texas brawl. Oh, that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I then love that. for Jim's mom, I wrote, I can't believe you cast Jim's mom. I'm casting Jim Broadbent in protest. So, Oh, no. Jim Broadbent will play. He's going to be sitting in the, in the imagine wheelchair. That. Imagine that movie. It's like completely straightforward. <laughs> and then suddenly Jim, Jim Broadbent comes in. 
Oh, my little strawberry. Uh. <laughs> like every time we do one of these, Barrett adds like one oh, or two yeah. names on the list that don't yeah. need to be cast. The guy who said Enrico, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo in the Naked Gun. Let's recast that guy. <laughs> So you know, you, I remember Jim's Jim's mom has a very memorable part in that movie. So does the the washing so does, machine in military landing. school. I mean, you can see in his face the adolescent. Terror. Actually, you know who you know who'd be perfect for that is the it kid, the uh, the masturbating Nazi, oh, the, yeah, uh, yeah. the uh, Jalen Jalen Brown, Jalen Jalen Smith, Jaden Smith, <laughs> Jaden no. Smith. Uh, <laughs> To Davion Clowney. They changed his name. Jade um, Martell. Martell. Jade Martell, that, the masturbating mm-hmm, Nazi. That's right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I can't God. even see the track anymore. We're so far off the rails. <laughs> that, was that was fun. I would watch all of those movies, by I, the way. I would, too. I would, too. You want to do a, a question or, or two? Uh, let's sure. do one question. 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 I got something to say. I am listening. Hello, Sincast. Hello. I was wondering what your thoughts are on the Godfather 3 re-edit. More broadly, do you like the idea of directors going back and recutting movies that people generally did not like or were disappointed? No! What do you guys think? No. (laughs) Um, There are only a few circumstances where I think that uh, recutting a movie is, is okay, and that is... Uh, especially if there was a lot of studio interference and you knew for a fact that your cut of the movie would have been better. And the studio came in and said, fuck you, we're taking away the cut and they cut it all to shreds and they come out with a movie and it bombs. That's the only way that I think that this even this, that you can do this. Are we saying that Francis Ford Coppola made a Godfather three that was awesome and it's lying on the cutting room floor somewhere? I do. I'm very skeptical of that, by the way, very skeptical. And mm-hmm. especially of latter day Francis Ford Coppola going in there and going, you know what? I found all this amazing film that I shot 30 years ago that makes this movie a, a masterpiece. All of a sudden he keeps doing this with apocalypse. Now he has made three or four different versions of that. I don't know which version that you really want to say is the definitive version but all of them are fine. Yeah. All of them are really good, but none of them makes one. Yeah. None of them makes it better than the first one that you've seen. None of them. That's true. Like that That's director's true. cuts fun to watch, but it doesn't make it better than the first one that you saw. So like, mm-hmm. so what does he, does he, does he cut out his daughter? Is that what he does? Or does he, does he, does he, does he, does he get another actor to be Sophia Coppola in there? Because that's one of the big things that he has to do. That is one of the big things. Godfather three was such a fucking disappointment on every level. I mean, the concept, and I guess they followed Puzo's story on this because he was a, 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 a co-writer mm-hmm. on it. Um, but involving the church, involving uh, Michael trying to get out and be completely legitimate, trying to reclaim his family. All of that appeals to me. Even Andy Garcia, um, as, as like the hot headed hitman doesn't turn me off or anything like that, but it was clunky and I can't imagine Paramount, especially after 
the success of the first two movies said to Coppola, hey, you need to cut this or you need to include this or anything like that. I mean, if they did, that's certifiably fucking insane. Mm -hmm. Now, studios can be certifiably fucking insane. But still, it's it's the Godfather. It's Francis Ford Coppola. And the movie is, is I can't say it's hot garbage because I've given it so many. It's like Cloud Atlas with you, uh, Jeremy. I've given it so many chances and it doesn't connect, but I'm still going to keep watching it just to see if there's something there. And I don't even care about Sofia Coppola. Like, yeah, she's she's a bad actress. You know, whatever. You can get by with bad actresses in good movies or bad actors in good movies. about digitally inserting someone else. No, no, no. Of course, yeah. of course, of course. No, I, I totally got that. She's not the reason why that uh, movie is garbage. It's 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 just the whole yes, product. Exactly. Exactly. And the kind of incest thing is is a little sure. problematic mm-hmm. too. But uh, you know, I did watch this trailer. It's called the. It's subtitled "The Death of Michael Corleone." Uh, Coppola said that he rewrote a beginning and an end. The beginning and the end are not the fucking problem. In this How do you rewrite a movie I, that was made forty years ago? I don't know. What does that mean? I don't know. What does that even I mean? Know. I rewrote the beginning. You can't, you can't bring Pacino they back. They could have done that uh, um, uh, technology where they make it that make them deagifying shit. Yeah. Man, if you could take I don't, President well, David Pacino and enough. film him and a computer could make him look like young Pacino, I'd be impressed. Well, they did that in The Irishman, yeah. at least with De Niro. But he wasn't like... So, well, I mean, okay. Still, the only problem I mean, was is that once they did the de-aging, yes, their face looked de-aged, but they still are 70-year-old men trying to do young things. So They're moving around like they're 70-year-old yeah. men. Yeah, so I mean... And uh, interestingly enough, Talia Shire was aged up at the time to uh, to be, and actually, even Al Pacino was a little aged up. Uh, but no, I don't think there's any way that you can do that. Maybe there's enough extra footage. I mean, he certainly yeah. shot a lot of uh, film that he can redo it. Like eighties? Is this in the eighties? This was nineteen. No, no, the story itself is it in the eighties? Or is it supposed to be? Oh, that's a good question. No, no, no. Because uh, Godfather 1 and 2 are in the 50s. Um, Late 40s, early 50s. And I think this is in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, And I'm going off of the cars. The cars were old. Mm Yeah. uh, of course, you know, they go to the Vatican quite a bit and that's, you know, timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think this is still in the late sixties. Okay. Early so 70s. not terribly um, far off, but still enough where they'd had to age the characters is what you're saying. Correct. Yeah. I, I think it's been like 20 years or something like that. Uh, 25 years. So from the early fifties to maybe mid seventies. Anyway, uh, I'll watch this because I'm a Godfather enthusiast, obviously, uh, I personally am perfectly fine with a director doing whatever the fuck he or she wants to uh, the cut of their movie afterwards. We don't have to watch it. And of course, you can't talk about this without bringing up Snyder and Justice League, Zack Snyder. That's and Justice not even League. the same thing. That's a whole other. Yeah, exactly. It, it ain't even the same fucking sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> ain't no fucking ballpark mm-hmm. neither. Uh, so uh, that. Not only is that a different movie because they spent $70 million on reshoots, 
it was the it was the fan it was the toxicity of that uh, process that was the problem. The if Zack Snyder just decided I'm just gonna I'm gonna release was my he cut, gonna, um, I think I've got something. That's fine. Was he gonna Was he gonna if he'd stayed on that movie all the way through? Was he gonna put out a four hour movie? Because I don't think he was. But now no, what he's gonna put out been, is a four hour movie. And he said the other day, there's two mm-hmm. and a half hours of footage nobody's ever seen. So again, this is not a director's cut. That's a different thing altogether. Mm-hmm. And I think what the one thing I want to mention is there's. Two, I feel like there's two kinds of this. Uh, the kind where <clears throat> time has healed wounds and a studio decides to give a director who didn't get final cut a chance to put out their final cut. This is what people who are supporting the David Ayer Suicide Squad cut are supposedly going for, that the studio stepped in too much on him, and I don't know that I buy that. But anyway, uh, in those instances, I, I kinda buy I, I'm okay with those kind of director's cuts, and I think they should be relegated to bonus features on Blu-ray releases and not a, a big fucking deal, because the whole other angle of this, and I think it's about 90% of them, is just a cash grab. It's just a just a way to make more money. I guarantee you, I don't know about Coppola and Paramount and this Godfather 3, but I guarantee you a lot of these are just, hey, it's been a while. If we put this movie in theaters or put out a new DVD, we'll probably make a million bucks. Well, see if this guy will do a new commentary for it and a recut for 20000 I don't know. It just mm-hmm. feels very commercialized, and it's hard, very hard for me to give money to a studio for director's vision that didn't have the balls to give me that director's vision the first time out. Yeah, and and in the case of The Godfather, I again, I cannot imagine that it was studio interference that not by made that, that point. What no, it was. no, that's like no. saying the studio no. interfered with Lucas's prequels. Um, <laughs> no, nobody interfered, and that was the problem. The other, the other yeah. part of this too is is don't make this version and not allow us to have the other version. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is, what, which is what they did with the original Star Wars, which, you know, while oh, yeah. we're being very cynical about the, the cash grab, I'm really surprised that Disney hasn't released the original trilogies because of that very reason. Uh, or that, or yeah. Fox, when they had a chance to do it, that didn't do it. Uh, I mean, although at that time, I think Lucas still owned the movie, so he probably was like, no, I'm going to... Keep may still be a contract clause when he sold it to Disney that said it they could couldn't be, ever don't do it. I think that they would just say that they have a contract that says they can't do it. We would have heard that about that by now. Maybe. I, I just, Maybe. I mean, yeah, it's still possible. Sure. But I don't like the idea also of, you know, now Coppola does Godfather three. Where is he? Is he going to stop there? Is he going to be like, all right, uh, how about I do Godfather one and two? And you said you were fine with this Barrett. If they did this with Godfather one and two, would you be the same way? If it makes it better, I guess fine. But if it doesn't, then why fuck with it? Um, I'll tell you, I'm conflicted a little bit because I love those movies, obviously. But if he if he rejiggered with it, yes, I would watch it. Uh, it's the same thing with the sure, Godfather saga not, that I've talked no, about many times. There's no issue with watching it. I think everybody might be curious about what something looks like after a re you know a redo but anyway go on no the the reason that i bring that up is that when i did watch the godfather saga there were a few pieces of the puzzle that were left out of the original cut 
like uh, Vito and Michael having that conversation before they go in to see the consigliere in the hospital of, you know, Michael, I want you to come work for me. Uh, that adds juice to that whole story. And if Coppola has extra footage that he thinks would enrich that product, I, I, I yes, I think you can monkey around with a masterpiece uh, and, and I might like it even more. Just like I like that first section of the Godfather saga even more but than I, have, I like the I'm, original. Okay, cut. so I'm a crank ass. So what I would like to propose is that we we don't erase original films in our conversations. No, of course not. With these director's yeah. cuts, like I like the Martian extended cut. It's got 11 minutes of mostly scenic footage. It's not better than the Martian, and. I'm when people ask me, "Hey, do you like The Martian?" I I don't go. I like the extended cut better. But there are a lot of people like I know we did this. Don't take this the wrong way. But we did this Kingdom of Heaven thing where Chris agreed with whoever had said so online that the director's cut makes that movie a lot better. But Kingdom of Heaven is still Kingdom of Heaven. That's still the movie we got, and mm-hmm. that's still the movie that it is. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they came around later and released another version is fine. It can be part of the discussion. It's a different movie. It does mm-hmm. not erase the existence of the mm-hmm. first movie. Yeah, and I think those situations they have kept the originals intact, so there is uh, there there's no problem with having your average day, average um, uh, or you know a director's cut come out as long as the you can still see the original that you wanted to that you fell in love with or whatever. That's what that Kingdom of Heaven Blu-ray does is is it has both versions on there. So, um. I like the idea of, of keeping the record of it. And maybe, maybe that, maybe there's mm-hmm. just, um, maybe that's just me, uh, and a few, a handful of other people, but, uh, the, the star Wars thing I think is the thing that bothers me the most. And if they, and then, and, and if, uh, Coppola ever did, uh, Godfather one and two and just said, here's the definitive version. You can't get the old one anymore. Then I would be, I'd be upset about that probably. Yeah. Oh, I would totally be upset. I would be guarding my, I've got two copies of it. <laughs> uh, I would be guarding those uh, those uh, films with my life. Well, maybe not, that's a little hard. I think it's like a, but I love them. There's so. an earthquake, and you're like, okay, save Hudson <laughs> and is it Candy or the Godfather trilogy? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's like, get the dogs. I'm like, no. I'm get the <laughs> you get the dogs. I'm getting the godfather. That's right. <laughs> I'll be, uh, the rubble will come down and I'll protect it with my body. <laughs> yes. You put a, put a, a fireproof blanket over it. I believe that's going to do it uh, for this week. Um, keep going to Sincast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. We're also on CinemaSins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter, uh, SoundCloud. We're also on Discord. If you want to get on Discord, you can go to our Reddit page and go to the right side and find a link there, or you can go to Facebook and private message me, and I will give you a link there. Can I can I shout out one thing real quick you before we end? It's it's been a long time since we've shouted this out, but the uh, the theme song that you're about to hear at the end of the episode and the theme song that you heard at the beginning of the episode was written. Uh, and uh, recorded by our friend Lorange. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has an album out, uh, Marlowe 2 with Solemn Brigham, uh, and oh, it's genius. Yeah. Uh, came out this year. Cannot recommend it enough. Uh, I want to give Lorange a shout-out because 
He's been a great friend to us. Uh, he's produced some amazing music for us. And uh, by himself, pick up Marlowe too. It will uh, rock your body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It does. Um, all right. That's going to do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Shear. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Jeremy, what do you think of uh, Latter Day Friends? Um, explain. Season seven on. Not very good. God damn, I didn't laugh once. I mean, this. this is the holiday armadillo, which I guess was super funny at the time, and I I remember laughing at it. Yeah, but it wasn't. But man, I didn't laugh once. They get they get uh, more caricature-y. Uh I mean, yeah. season. F- Three, four, and five are sweet spot. They're all great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's hit or miss. I think there are still good episodes, but it's not like Frasier or even Seinfeld where like season nine of Seinfeld is almost the best season of that show. Like they, sure, other man. than the yeah. finale, yeah. they they were in peak form. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Friends went uh, went down. The last episode I thought was good just because it resolved things so well. Yeah. But like, no, I it, 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 it ain't funny. It ain't funny. Like the har- holiday armadillo thing is like Chandler trying to bribe the uh, Mater D at the fancy restaurant. Yeah. And it's like the money's in the other hand yeah. when he tries to shake his hand. And it's like, even with all the physical comedy, that's not yeah, funny. No. That's not funny at all. I concur. Uh, nice job on the hair, by the way. Thank you. Did you go scissors? Clippers. Clippers, baby. Clippers, Clippers. yeah. I had to order some off Amazon, and and I, I put it off for two or three days because I wasn't quite ready to just do that. <laughs> it's commitment. <laughs> and uh, and then one day I got into fuck it mode, and I was like, all right, it's, it's now or never. We're doing this. <laughs> And I read the instructions and, uh, the, you know, I went on the, the lightest setting first and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, I and I started cutting and I was like, yeah, I think they think that most people are going to have a normal, uh, hair at this point when they, when they, <laughs> and I did not, I had, I had a huge, butchy, uh, you know, uh, whatever, like just, it was, you know, I had two or three inches of uh, fucking hair coming off of me. On the, on the <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that early setting cut off quite a bit, but it was still leaving me like super long. So I was like, all right, I'll go down one. And then, uh, and then I, I ended up having to go just like, just, just go all the way down. I mean, go all the way yeah. down to like whatever it was, the one inch or whatever. And, uh, yeah, because I wasn't making any dents in it after a while. I was just sitting there, <laughs> nothing, nothing. And you got to go high and tight, man. Yeah, and then finally I was just like, all right, I'm just going to go all the way down. And and that's scary because you start doing it, and, and if you're and – man, this is the first time I've ever done it. There were definitely parts – there are probably still parts now, in fact – um, that were just uneven all over the place. It was like, like a little spot here and a little spot mm-hmm. there. And, 
you know, this was still, I mean, I, I was like, how do I, oh, I don't, I don't want to like fuck this up, but I mean, ended up making it pretty short anyway. So it didn't really matter much. And he's like, all right, we'll just make it real fucking short. What, what does it matter? Um, so nice. I have never been in more of a fuck it mode regarding my hair than this goddamn <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> I've, I went from, let me grow it and see what happens to let's see if what happens if I give myself a 25 year old's haircut and mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll, who knows where I'll go next. But I'm mm-hmm. thinking it's going to be ponytail time. Did you, uh, did you shave the sides yeah, or dude, like really get all those the tight? Way up. Yeah. It's shaved all the way up. Oh shit. And then it's, Oh, it's totally Macklemore. <laughs> <laughs> you know the uh, the scene in Stripes where they uh, they shave everybody's head, like John Candy and everybody uh, at boot camp. Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, they don't shave Bill Murray or Harold Ramis's head. They they leave they cut it short, but they don't uh, probably shave in all their the contract. Probably so, but uh, they actually did that. Like uh, who directed Stripes? Was it Ivan Reitman? Uh, I think it was Ivan Reitman. Yes, it was. Um, he said, like, you guys have got to go all the way. So Candy was just like, fuck it. And his hair was long. He was like, yeah, man, shave me down. <laughs> and they were just going. Zzzz. It's awesome. There's also a good scene. And uh, did you guys ever see Heartbreak Ridge with uh, Clint Eastwood? I thought a, a long sergeant. time ago. Fucking love that movie. That movie's rad as hell. But he uh, once he shaves his his recruits down. He walks, he's a great drill sergeant. He walks out and he's like, smells like a Ben Gay factory out here. <laughs> nice. And usually my so dick you can draw, draw inappropriate uh, <laughs> pictures for your wife, like Christmas tree dick. I mm-hmm. do. She's, she's so mad about that because she wants, <laughs> she wants to keep them, but she doesn't want to keep the dirty ones. And I'm always like, why? I mean, you should like, publish if, that shit. What if we die and someone's looking through them and I'm like, they'll think I'm hilarious, man. What's the problem? Yes. And I have a lot of excitement about the short story stuff that I've got planned. So it'll be good for you, man. I love those short stories. It'll be, of- you'll be 65 or something. And some tastemaker will run across the apples. <laughs> Fuck yeah! And, and be like, whoa! Like, did you guys see this? this God, will be this after they have made, years ago? you know, eighteen <laughs> different Batman versions and seventy <laughs> Spider Mans and yeah. But hey, anyway, seventy <clears throat> Spider Mans. Did you see that um, Chadwick Boseman um, um, plays um, James Brown movie? Get on it was up. on yeah. the other day. I saw. I've seen pieces of it. I haven't seen. Him. <laughs> I haven't seen him. He's really good, but I didn't like it. I thought it was way too like montagey and. Um, that's what. That's what the main problem with those movies are. Those biopics for me. Yeah, you gotta make sure great. we get everything in there. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, I'm honestly. I've been doing this thing since the man passed to uh, to try to watch his movies when they come up. So I watched that Marshall movie where he plays uh, Thurgood Marshall and Josh Gad is in it. Mm. I thought that was good. Um, and uh, I hadn't seen this one. So I watched that. And I, again, I think he's fantastic in it. I just didn't care much for the movie. Mm-hmm. He's in a new thing too, uh, coming out like a old school jazz type of th- movie coming out. Well, that I sounds awesome. I also watched that 20, 
nine bridges or whatever it was. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the, that the was where they they changed the number of bridges many times yeah. in the title. Yeah. It's uh it's pretty standard fare. Um, but just trying to trying to get to know the man's work more and celebrate his life a little bit more. And nice, good for you, man. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the same thing with me when that uh, Get On Up came on the other day was was just sort of like, you know, I kind of wanted to watch it. Uh, I, just, I don't know what was going on at the time that I couldn't watch it all the way, but uh, but I, I was immediately arrested by the fact that he was on the screen and I wanted to kind of keep up with it and everything. But yeah, I, I, I feel I'll tell you what, like- I've got a couple of uh, James Brown albums that I used to listen to religiously, man. Sex Machine and Say It Loud, I'm Black, I'm Proud. Uh, he had some good fucking songs, man. And Living in America was not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't they do that, though, at like big boxing <laughs> matches? Why don't they have like awesome singers like drop out of the sky on a stage and like perform some awesome song before the match. They got, they got shitty rock bands at halftime at the hockey game. Why don't you give me halftime? Uh, why don't you give me like a, you know, why can't I see Nickelback rock out before uh, Roy Jones Jr. punches someone in the dick? I don't know. There's probably, um, there, there, there might be a, um, a, a luck situation, like a, a what, uh, uh, what would you call it? Uh, superstition about it because Apollo died in that match. If you remember, that's true. He sure did. That's true. Yeah. If you were going to be uh, break a boxer, mm-hmm. what would your walk-in music be? Oh shit! <laughs> Dry the rain from Beta Band. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna walk in for seven and a half minutes. I will be all right. I will be all right. Yeah, that's that's man. That's so annoying in uh, high fidelity that. He puts on the CD, but the song starts like three and a half minutes yeah, into the, the song. First time you listen to that song down. for real, you're like, what? This isn't even the same fucking song. <laughs> how about, how about Nine Inch Nails, March of the Pigs? That might be a good one to come mm, out on. Nice. Mm. Nice. Step right up. March. Push. Oh, <laughs> I, could, uh, I could go for some Rage Against the Machine. Like, oh, uh, yeah. Bulls on Parade. Ooh. Bulls on Parade or uh, People of the Sun or uh, really Bomb Track. Mm-hmm. I, I was Ooh. thinking like, uh, <laughs> uh, I want to fuck you like an animal. Yeah, closer. Yeah. <clears throat> I actually uh, figured out how to play uh, some Rage Against the Machine on the guitar the other day. Nice. So nice. I was uh, jamming out to that because it's all riffs. It's all riffs within like three frets of each other because Tom Morello can't really – do like a virtuoso type of thing. It's all like, and so uh, it's it's easy enough for me to play. <laughs> it is uh, Sergio Corbucci that once upon a time in Hollywood name checks. No shit. Oh, second wow. most, yeah, the second most famous director of spaghetti westerns in the world. Yeah, I mean, it. I mean, I was watching this going. I bet Tarantino watched this movie like fifty times back in his day. 
He goes to Sergio Corbucci. Mm-hmm. That's my Kurt Russell voice. <laughs> Sergio Corbucci. Sudden, yeah, he did. Sudden Kurt Russell, fucking Kurt Russell, like, I think was in some John Wayne stuff or whatever. I think oh, yeah? early yeah. in his yeah. early days. Yeah. And so, yeah. like, yeah, there's there's plenty of times where he, he goes into a John Wayne impersonation. He does it in uh, Death Proof for sure. Um, but you know, he's got, no, that was, uh, when I was watching that interview with him and Goldie Hawn, uh, it was the movie right after he starred with her, uh, that he was in a John, a few John Wayne. He was in a few Westerns. Yeah. He was in a lot of Westerns. That's how he sort of started. And he was a child actor and all that. So Mm -hmm. he's been around for what? 80, 90 years. Yeah. 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 Conservatively. (laughs) Mm. I, I got a good list, man. I'm not going to run out of rants or recommends and warrants for a long time. Yeah. No baby. It was only rants. <laughs> no cat. No cans. <laughs> just babies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cut this part. Don't put this in the episode.